0: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And it is time for another edition of Female First, which means we are once again joined by the fantastic, fabulous, wonderful Eve. Welcome, Eve. Thank you for the warm welcome. Yes, always. You know, we love to have you. And you just gave us the most amazing like (laughs) book show. (laughs) It was great. It was fantastic, listeners. We got like a little demonstration of all these books that <laughs> you picked up. Um, but yeah, last time we had you on, you were talking about how you were going on a trip. And we also just talked about how like condensing that and small talk is stressful. So I'm going to ask you to do it again. <laughs> Can you give some highlights of your Ooh. trip for the
3: listeners, please? Well, I'm happy to. I really am. It's It's fun recapping because I feel like something new when you talk about something you did to people that is a long story multiple times, I feel like something new really does come out. Each time, but and also there's so much to process too. So it's like mm-hmm. helping me process. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it. I'm not <laughs> complaining about it. Um, but yes, I did. I did go on my trip. I was uh, away for a month. I went to Zambia and South Africa and Botswana for a day just to go to a park to see lots of lovely animals, and it was very eye opening. Everything was beautiful. All the people were wonderful. And I felt very welcome everywhere I went. I had lots of lovely like outdoor and nature experiences, which y'all know that I love. But I also had lots of lovely different kinds of city experiences um, in Zambia and, and in Cape Town as well. And I really enjoyed my time there. I got to hike. I got to eat. So much food, which is one thing I'm readjusting to, (laughs) like (laughs) having to cook myself (laughs) Mm, (laughs) because I didn't do any of that. I was in a hotel a lot of the time. So but yeah, I I didn't do do any of that while I was while I was there. So currently readjusting and readjusting to the weather because it is getting cold here Mm -hmm, in Atlanta. But yeah, everything. The quick recap is that everything was great. I was there for a month, had a great time. Want to go back. Miss it, of course. I still am in those post-travel. I'm still in the post-travel blues phase. Yeah. And also (laughs) seasonal. Post-travel blues rolls really well into seasonal depression. You know what I mean? (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) What an amazing combo. What a combo. (laughs) One-two punch. Um, (laughs) Perfect. No, but seriously. Seriously. um, I did have a good time. Yes. We were lucky enough
0: to hear some tales. Some... Perhaps perilous kayak times, but (laughs) also, yes, you picked up a lot of books while you were there. And last time you were on the show, you said, like, I think I'm going to get some inspiration when I'm there. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe...
3: I did. <laughs> you and did. that I did. I said that too. And I had to hold myself accountable while I was there. That's another <laughs> reason. While I was perusing those shows, was so hard when I was there. And um, there were plenty of people that did come up, like while I was looking through things there. I went to a few museums, went to a few bookstores, just so everyone knows, and um, got a lot of information there and inspiration about people. Lots of people I would love to look more into. Um, Also people who uh, stories aren't necessarily as accessible to me because of language reasons, but also because they may not have have substantial biographies written on them and and may not have that much that is publicly available knowledge um, beyond the family that may have uh, survived them if they're not living anymore. But I did. I did get lots of inspiration. And brought that here today, which I'm excited about. Um, there are loads and loads of people on the African continent and in Zambia and in South Africa, specifically, which are the places that I went, that are have deep histories in anti-colonial resistance, anti-apartheid movements, um, Black consciousness movements, gender-based movements, all of those things. So there is a wealth of um, information that I could delve into about those things that, that everybody can research. Plenty of figures who are well-known and some that aren't so well-known.
0: Yes. And I know Samantha and I are very, very excited mm-hmm. as you work through these books, of getting
3: <laughs> updates, yes.
0: seeing what comes from <laughs> that, uh, hopefully on this segment. But in the meantime, who did you bring for us to discuss today, Yves?
3: Today we are talking about Lillian Goye. So she was the first woman elected to the National Executive Committee of the African National Congress. Yes. Um, and
0: it, once again, is another, another amazing story that has so much like context and history and threads and all this stuff coming together and for this one person and how much she did and how much she accomplished. So I'm excited to,
3: to delve more into it. Shall we get started with the history? Yes, let's do. Let's do. So she was born Lillian Macedaba Matabane in Pretoria in 1911. And that's in the northeast part of the country, just northeast of Johannesburg. So I think that we have talked about, or maybe we have talked about apartheid before in the Female First segments. Um, But for a quick history context, there is a long history um, in South Africa of colonialism, goes back into enslaved people coming from many different parts of the world and landing in areas in South Africa. But um, fast forwarding a lot in that history, at a certain point, there was the Union of South Africa, which united British colonies in Southern Africa. That was formed in 1910. And that was a self-governing dominion that was still within the British Empire. So under colonial rule, there was slavery. There was, like I said, there was racial discrimination as well in the aftermath of that continuing um against non-white people because there was a mix of many different cultures as is what often happens um through enslaved people uh, arriving in a location but that in uh, was also included and encoded in legislation so the what would be considered apartheid era began in South Africa in 1948 although there were precursors to that era of course and still vestiges of it that continue there today The National Party at that point enshrined racial segregation and white supremacy as federal policy, and apartheid touched all parts of life. So that was education, labor, housing, politics and voting, transportation and travel, access to public facilities, et cetera, et cetera. That system separated people into the whites, the Indians, the colors, and the Blacks. So many acts over the years restricted non-white freedoms that led to things like censorship, disenfranchisement, violence, force removals, and poverty. And that also, of course, on the flip side, led to plenty of resistance, anti-apartheid movements, organizations, and leaders, and uprisings of thought, Black consciousness, things like that. So that is the, that is Apartheid one on one light. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just for a little context of the era and the environment that Ngoyi was born into. And she had siblings, but she was the only girl. Her mother was a domestic worker. Her father was a minor and a laborer, And he died of lung disease. But she went to primary school at the Kilnerton Institution, which was a black Methodist school. She did end up leaving school early and began training as a nurse at the City Deep Mine Hospital. During that time, she married a man who was a van driver named John Gerard Ngoye, and they had a daughter. And so she later became a seamstress and a domestic worker. But in 1937, a few years after the couple married, John died in a car accident. And she ended up supporting her children and another child, who I believe was her niece and her mother. So she did get a job as a machinist working in a clothing factory. And she worked there from 1945 to 1956. And it was at this point, and through her work at the factory, we began to see her activism and her participation in the political sphere She joined the Garment Workers Union of the Transvaal, and at the time, Solly Sachs was the leader of the Garment Workers Union, and he has his own history um, and complications and controversies. Um, He was a labor and anti-apartheid activist himself. He became secretary of the Garment Workers Union in 1928, which itself had already a storied history that, in early parts of it, too, was limited to white people and to men, and it did change over time. But women workers in the industry did organize at this point through the union, which advocated for better working conditions for the clothing workers. And Sachs himself was arrested several times and in 1952 was banned from multiple organizations under the Suppression of Communism Act, which does come up a lot. In this era, under apartheid, in terms of how different people who were speaking up and who were resistant against apartheid were persecuted under that banner. But that was enacted by the Parliament of South Africa.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please, Start planning your
2: trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds
3: perfect. So garment workers, including Goyi, protested against his banning and her participation in the GWU, the union, helped radicalize her. Sachs soon went into exile in England, where he did anti apartheid work still. And meanwhile, in South Africa, there was introduced legislation that restricted the rights of Black and so-called color people that were still being passed. The Natives Labor Act of 1953, for instance, banned strikes by Africans. So this was the spirit and the energy that Ngoi became a part of as a worker and as someone who was in the union. And as someone who had a, her consciousness at the time, she uh, was involved in the Defiance campaign, which was launched in 1952. It was a huge, really involved across race, across time in different places in South Africa campaign of resistance against those apartheid laws. And the National Party government had come to power in 1948, which we spoke about a little bit earlier, it had turned up the dial on a lot of the discriminatory legislation. And as a part of that defiance campaign, there were boycotts, rallies, and other forms of civil disobedience. Um, the ANC had kind of turned more to strategies and tactics that involved things like civil disobedience at the time. And of course, this was a huge campaign with many thousands of people being involved. Many were arrested for doing things like entering segregated spaces that were just for white people, um, doing things like violating curfew, for going places without passes, and for defying other apartheid regulations. Ngoi joined the African National Congress during the defiance campaign so that ANC was really focused on its opposition to apartheid through that political action and civil disobedience. She took training for volunteers, and what seems to be remarked about her, herself, and her character is her oratory skills. So she seemed like she had a really great ability to give really passionate and compelling speeches that were able to get people riled up to the anti-apartheid movement and to actually becoming involved in that movement themselves. So I think as everyone listening will probably realize by now that there are some parallels between... The kinds of actions and organizing and resistance that's happening here and that happened in the United States. And there are a lot of scholars who draw those lines between the figures and the movements that are happening in both places. um, The civil rights movement in the United States and the anti-apartheid movement here happening in South Africa. But yeah, so she became really active in the movement. She led protest rallies in major cities as well as in rural towns across the country. In 1952, she was arrested for being in a whites-only section of a post office and attempting to send a telegram to the prime minister. But eventually she was elected as president of the ANC Women's League. And she attended a conference that was held by the Women's International Democratic Federation. She traveled to Europe, to Russia, and to China as a delegate of the Federation of South African Women, which she joined and was elected as its president in 1956. And it was also that year that she got her first and became the first woman elected to the National Executive Committee of the African National Congress. So as we do see a lot of times in the stories of these women that we talk about on Female First, about how they travel overseas and seem to be truly invigorated by, obviously have to put in a lot of work to get to the point where they are traveling internationally and are delegates of their causes, but also are clearly invigorated by what they see overseas. Whether that's like, okay, they see the different ways that women are being treated, They see the different consciousnesses of the countries that they're going to and how active people are involved in resistance movements. They see the kind of tactics and strategies that people are using overseas. And then they come back to the place that they left and see what's happening there and have a certain perspective on it now after they've done their travels um, and been to these conferences and, and, and spoken with different people and met different people. And so she comes back to South Africa and continues to do her work, continues to put in work. On August 9th, 1956, a big touchpoint or flashpoint in her history in the resistance movement, she, along with other women like Helen Joseph, Sophie Williams, and Rahima Musa, led a women's past march to the union buildings in Pretoria and actually August 9th to this day in South Africa is celebrated as National Women's Day. So the government was planning to extend pass laws to African women. Black men were already required to carry passes. And these pass laws require African men to carry documents validating their identity and permissions. And the way that that looked did morph over time to where there were all these documents and there was a passbook. So exactly how that panned out did change But at the end of the day, they were required to carry documents that validated their identity, where they were allowed to be. So this really infantilizing, paternalistic, patriarchal (laughs) method of control over where people could be and even who they were, you know, they were designed to control their movement and to reinforce segregation. Many people were arrested for violating past laws out of necessity. I mean, of course, this, Having to have past laws disrupted their lives in many ways, including where they could work, how they could work, the time that they could spend, or how they were able to spend time with their family. But early attempts to make women carry past books resulted in protests. Women were like, nah, we're good. <laughs> we're, not, we're not here for having past laws. So they were able to, through their actions, avoid having to be subject to these laws for a while. But... It was clear that the government planned on still extending past laws to them, still in the 1950s. So, like, they, they put in legislation, and we do plan on extending these past laws. That's how clear it was to women. So in the 1956 protests, there were estimated to be around 20,000 women. They carried a bunch of petitions, to, pre- and that was across races. So they carried a bunch of petitions to present to the government, and Goyi knocked on the prime minister's door to give them to him. And this, wasn't the, this was not was a huge demonstration and an important one, but there were also other anti-pass law demonstrations throughout the country, in rural places, and in other cities. But they were, they were eventually subjected to pass laws. This 1956 march on August 9th did do a lot to uplift women like Ngoyi who were participating in it and brought a lot of visibility to the issue. So in December of 1956, which was just months after the march, Ngoi and other anti-apartheid activists were put on trial for treason. The police arrested around 156 people who were charged with high treason, and that included people from the ANC, the African National Congress, Indian Congress, The Congress of Democrats, the Congress of Trade Unions, and the Colored People's Organization. They were accused of being active in the liberation movement and creating a freedom charter with the goal of establishing a communist state, among other accusations. So as you would probably imagine, you know, this lasted a while. The treason trial lasted until 1961, and Ngoi was acquitted. But in 1960, she was arrested again under the state of emergency that was declared after the Sharpville Massacre, which was a massacre where pe- police killed people who were protesting past laws. And she spent five months in prison then, some of that time when she was in solitary confinement. And in the next decades, she was subject to more arrests and to more bans. So you see in her story the chokehold, like that tight grasp that was placed on her by authorities in this last time of her life after she had this snowball of momentum up to her strong role in the resistance movement to the point where people like Nelson Mandela were acknowledging her in public spaces, in public speeches, And of course, there were plenty of people who also were a part of the movement and who read and who attended her speeches, who knew the role that she was playing and really speaking up against and taking action against the apartheid legislation and state. So the story is arrest after arrest, um, kind of, and, and ban at that point. In October of 1962, she was issued banning orders that confined her to her home in Orlando Township. Under the order, she couldn't attend public gatherings or meet with more than one person at a time, and that included other band people. She couldn't uh, converse with them. That band lasted five years, but then was renewed for another five years in 1967. And there was a brief period when she did travel after that, but that was rolled back pretty quickly because she was still on her soapbox as she rightfully was. And of course, she continued to do when she had that brief period of freedom. But the ban was reimposed in 1975. And that rolled into her death, unfortunately. Um, she did die on March 13th, 1980, that, which was not long before her five-year ban was about to expire. So if you think about, we know that bans and confining people to spaces is one power that the state uses in order to keep people from being active in these resistance movements. Of course, the ban restricted her ability to work and to make money, though she did try to make a living sewing. Of course, that was difficult for her. Apparently, she says that the police who were there would try to, or would intimidate customers when they would come by. So there were some donations that were coming through, but there were, she wasn't the most well-supported person. It also restricted her ability to travel, of course, to participate in political activities and generally to live life freely. And the access that other people had to her her speeches, to her work, to her writing, to the thoughts and ideas that she shared was also limited. So her life was confined to this spot, but also other people were confined because they were no longer able to Access the resources that she had so freely given in the years leading up to that. So that clearly severely impacted her ability to do the work, um, in turn impacting the movement itself. So that is Lillian Ngoi's story, part of the larger story. Um, But there were a lot of women who were clearly involved in the movement at the time. And uh, she did have a funeral um, that was well attended. But there was a remark by someone who was speaking at the funeral that like this should be even far more well attended if you all knew the work that Ngoi was trying to do. That she was trying to get us or the people uh, off of their seats and into action and really standing up for what they believe in at whatever cost may have been necessary. That cost, including Um, the meaning out of violence against them and potentially even death. So she was well-respected and acknowledged in her lifetime, though, as unfortunately stories often go, could be more well-acknowledged today and did have a memorial and has had a couple of things named after her. So she has been acknowledged in some ways, but... um, I'm grateful to be able to share her story today in this way because, of course, as, as we talk about all the time, it's always helpful to continue to uplift stories that may be less well-known by, by a lot of people.
1: Snag a Job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
2: Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Me.
1: Focus Features presents Back to Black.
2: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
1: Experience the music and her story.
2: Know this. I ain't no spy Girl.
1: Like never before. That's
2: my daughter. That's my Amy.
1: On the big screen.
2: I want to be remembered. It's just being
1: me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
2: Well, I will say I, growing up in small town LAJ, Georgia, small town Georgia, had never even heard of the apartheid until I started college. And even then I just pretended I knew because everybody knew it was a big, like there's so many of my friends that knew and I was just like, yeah, What? Yes, I absolutely know what's going on and went through and had to study for myself what this was and what the movement was and and how actually during my time in college, it was still a pretty big conversation and, and the injustices that had happened uh, during that time and the people who were affected. Like the conversation, the fact that it is, it took me that long to understand the depth and so still learning Trying to learn about the people in this movement and the and the warriors and the fighters and the people who were leaders is still amazing that I'm like, yeah, I had no idea this happened. I didn't know this conversation. Like I know the broad scope and some specific stories. That's about it. But it in in the bigger scheme and picture is like, oh my God, we have missed out on so much conversation and and the truth and the history and the amazing people who really were the backbone of this movement, including the fact like the understanding of trying to figure out what banning was. Like I know the concept of banning, but this was almost like torture, the stalking, the constant harassment, making sure that she wasn't able to make money, making sure that she wasn't able to see people. That level of being harassed, this is is like, oh my God, again, this is torture. I feel like it should be a little to that. This is a crime. This is a crime against humanity. Let's have a conversation about why this is so important about the fact that they stripped her of her livelihood consistently. Like it wasn't just, oh, it's, it's almost over. We're going to do a new thing now. Let's just find another way to make sure you're banned because it's working because we're killing your spirit, essentially. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she, I'm glad her stories come out and I'm glad we get to see. Thank you so much for bringing these stories and these conversations and this historical context because, yeah, it's so important that we're having a moment to acknowledge holy, shit, this has been in the dark too long.
0: Yeah. And I hate that it's such an inspiring story and she did so much um, and she fought so much and just resisted so much. And then I hate that access to what she did was limited. And as you said, especially if she's a good orator, like that was lost in a way or people weren't able to get that information, um, which is also part of, yeah, um, this sort of trying to minimize and make sure like this resistance doesn't go anywhere but that that i just hate that so i i'm i'm very glad that yes we're sharing the story that you brought it to us but it is one of those things where i'm like
3: oh it's bittersweet sweet yeah. every yeah. time <laughs>
0: exactly yeah and
3: it and it that hit hard the way you said that samantha about it killing her spirit because i think we saw how much spirit she had through right. you know throughout her life um and the work that she put into it um and how this was Intentional harm that the state was committing against her, and how just doing that to her, the killing her spirit, as you put it, Samantha, affected so many other people. And even though they, we see how, how Lillian Ngoi, in her quotes, really was looking forward to a point where things changed. And apartheid no longer had its hold on the country. She wasn't able to see that transformation that didn't occur until the 90s by the time that she had died. So it is very, uh, I hate to end on, I, I think I'm being so hesitant because I hate to end on a point where like, you know, it is very it's very real, Samantha, that it is killing her spirit. But a it, it part a part of the way, it really pains me to say that because I don't want to not acknowledge the fact that she lived such a full and beautiful life in so many ways, you know, had family that she was able to connect with, and the extended family that I'm sure that she created through the movement work that she did.
2: I do hope that they do hear that we are celebrating the amazing work that she did um, and continued to do and obviously kept fighting when she could. That's, that's the biggest part to that is that when she had that small break of not being banned, she's like, all right, let's keep going. I mean, that mm-hmm. is a fighter in itself and in that conversation because I know so many would just have backed down, but she didn't. She kept pushing, she kept trying, but she was also trying to protect her family and herself it, it, during these times, during a time where it was really, really dangerous for her and them. So it is. It's definitely that level, I guess, in, in that moment of like, damn, the government sucks in a story. <laughs> 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 All right, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get, I'm going to be on a list somewhere.
0: <laughs> you already are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is. The file's been started. <laughs> it's created.
3: <laughs> Sorry to tell you. <laughs> I'm going to go hide now. Oh, well. <laughs>
0: I did like that. I hadn't really thought about it, but I did like that you included Eves that uh, a lot of these female firsts do include travel and kind of yeah. like changing your perspective through travel. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, some somewhat of a more upbeat note to to end on because <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, you're right. It's true. And I think that's very, since you just got back on this trip, that's one of my favorite things about travel too is when you come back and you're like, oh, I have all these things to think about and reevaluate and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I'm glad you pointed that out. I hadn't really picked up on that, but you're
3: right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm sorry. I did, this is one of those moments. So for everybody listening, I was talking to Samantha and Annie before this started about how <laughs> about how I get too deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm telling people about somewhere I've been to, I immediately jump into the deep sides of the conversations and sometimes try to have to skip over <laughs> the surface level stuff. And that might be a bit much for too, some people who aren't expecting that and who don't want that. Um, so I was trying to temper myself with my response to that, Annie. <laughs> but it did it make me think of somebody I was just talking to who asked me, like, how is the Eves today, who is here now, different than the Eaves who left and um, was at the airport the day you left? And I was like, I, uh, I, I know, and you know, that's how I was like, I have 100 million things to say about that, but also... I have no idea how to answer that question. <laughs> yeah. So that's what um what you just said just now, Annie, made me think of, and I was like, let me let me roll it back on that a little bit. But it's a really good point to think about um, when we're thinking about these female first, like the even if it's not travel, the moments that change the people who we're talking about, and the moments that change us. Like, what are some of the the things that really shake us or invigorate us or make us think differently about something. And that doesn't have to be a really big moment. It doesn't have to be traveling halfway across the world either. It can be uh, something as simple as a conversation that you have with somebody at a bar. So, yeah, I really, I really like that, Annie. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a a good follow up point as well. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes,
2: yes. But yes, now yes, I yes. do want to hear the answer later of that question mm. that they asked you. So, but we'll we'll put a pin in that. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> yes, and thanks once again for coming on. We know you're a little still recovering from your travel, so we really appreciate you yes. being here. <laughs> Happy to be here as
3: always. Yes, yes, and we love having you. Uh, can you tell the good listeners where they can find you? Yes, you can find me online on the internets, on Instagram at not apologizing, and on Twitter at Eve's Jeff Coach. And I realized that I don't ever spell that and that people may not know how to spell it. So that's Y V E S J-E-F-F-C-O-A-T. That's how you spell my name. Um, and you can also find me at com, So you can go to my website to find all those things if you forget or have no idea how to spell my name after I just spelled it and you don't <laughs> want to rewind the 15 seconds. Um, and also on plenty of episodes of Sminty on doing other segments of Female First about a bunch of different women in history who changed things, who lived phenomenal lives and who had stories that I think are... worthy of sharing and that we all have things to learn from.
0: Yes. Agree. Agree so listeners go check out all of those things you just listed you can do the 15 back it's easy if you need to <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you would like to contact us you can or email stephidiamomstuff at iheartmedia.com you can find us on twitter at momstuffpodcast or on instagram at Stuff never told you. thanks as always to our super producer Christina thank you and thanks to you for listening Stuff never told yous production of iheartradio for more podcasts from iheartradio you can check out the iheartradio app apple podcast or wherever you listen to your favorite shows Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect.
2: Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee
0: sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive